I'll go as quick as I can. I won't keep you long, and uh, I'm I'm so honored to be here. I uh, uh, I was trying to figure out. I spoke here once before years ago. I don't. I, I spoke from that porch over there, and there wasn't near this many people. So. Y'all are doing something right if you got this many people showing up. I am, I am honored to be here. I, uh, I know a bunch of you from my little forays into the south and getting to speak. I, I, it's just so great to see some of you guys and staying sober and kicking butt. And uh, I'm just honored to... to uh, I tell you, I am... Um, I nearly... I nearly died getting to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, this wasn't one of those, my life's kind of becoming unmanageable and I need to get cleaned up and, you know, and everything's going to be okay. And I went to an AA meeting and got sober. And that's just, that's just not my story. And so I want to tell you a little bit about this. These are on my blind side. I'm going to probably knock into this about 40 times during this talk. So you <laughs> I don't know why he keeps hitting the mic because I can't see the bastard. That's why. I, I, no, no, no. It's okay. That's okay. God. I used to work a saute line in the. In, I was a professional chef for years. I work a saute line, and everybody just like, oh shit, you know, it's hot flaming skillets. But the guys on this side would whistle, and you know, they'd make noise. As long as you're making noise, I know where you're at. So that's, I'm talking. I used to date girls that just had. Never mind. I just never. Mind. Never mind. I'm sorry. I am. Uh, I get a chance to do some of this pretty often, and I, it's not because you know any great major story or anything. But I, but I, I think I share the sentiments with a lot of people. And I, but I know from experience, I got sober in November 13, 1987, and I've done this for most of the 22 years I've been sober. I've I've spoke from the podium, and, and some of you in there, like I said, in the in the in the audience have, have heard me before. You kind of know where I'm going here. But I, but I'm just I'm begging you, just to hear this, and then you could drift off to dreamland. Listen, guys, I, I'm here to share my story, my My story, and my story may be different than your story. You follow? I mean, page 17 in the big book says we've got a common problem and a common solution. It doesn't say we have a common story. And this is what some people just don't seem to understand. They get a little tweaky when my story doesn't jive with your story. And we got cats here that came to us from the from the legal system, from jail. Good heavens. And I didn't. And we got people coming here, just walked in the doors. And I know for a fact, guys, because here's the nut, is that we've got some, some folks in here that, oh, God, do I even want to say this? Oh, shit. No. Y'all feel free to go ahead and take your clothes off, too. Okay. It's no sweat. No sweat. Go ahead, brother. We got some cats in here in this in this gathering right here that are not not alcoholic or addict. Okay? They're going to meetings. They call themselves alcoholics and addicts, but they call themselves recovering alcoholics and addicts. They've never worked the 12 steps and they don't need the spiritual experience that Roger was talking about and our rooms are full of them. And they're welcome. I hope they die soon. But because <laughs> these are the cats that want to come take exception, guys. This is life and death. I'm sorry. I'm, but it's just good. Gosh, you know, I, 
it was so cool to hear Roger say that before I get up here and speak. I just need to re- reiterate what he's saying. Guys, the 12 steps are about a spiritual experience. This ain't about religion. This ain't about going to church. This is about a spiritual experience that allows us to overcome the obsession to drink and drug. This is unapologetically about God. And if you think it's some kind of a chicken, you know what, self-help program, you need to go get another plate of food and go someplace else because you're not going to like this talk. And that's okay with me. I love you. I just don't think you got the right to come into a meeting and water the message down and explain to people that it is some kind of a self-help program. Because that's why we got so many people that can't stay sober. There you go. Anyway, there you go. I, I feel so much better. Well, I used to not talk about that before. And I'd share my story and then people would line up for 45 minutes after I talked want to take exception with what I said. I mean, it's amazing to me. You know, the little new guys come to any length or little guys come on into an AA meeting. The first thing we're going to do is get them. Said like, you need to be open-minded. You need to be open-minded. And then... <laughs> And then we got guys sitting around this fellowship that have been sober 30, 30 years that are so freaking close-minded, it's not even funny. <laughs> is that you can say something what the book says, but all of a sudden you're controversial. But they can get over there and say, don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And all of a sudden, y'all know where I'm going with this, right? Okay. I mean, it, it always echoes. Well, I don't know about that, but my sponsor said. You know, oh, I don't know about that, but my counselor said. I don't know about any of that. My big book says this. I, I, I don't know. We can share anything. God, I went. I was telling somebody earlier, Joey. Uh, I went to a, one of the first open discussion meetings I've been to in ages. I go to open discussion slash literature based meetings. That's what we do. We we study the literature in the meetings I go to. And uh, and but I went. I was in Austin, Texas, and I just changed jobs. And I went to this meeting I'd never been to. It was an open discussion meeting. A little chairperson had a little topic. Had nothing to do with the twelve steps or or anything. You know, it was, like, it was just. And I'm sitting in there, and I'm remembering as this guy rambles on for thirty minutes in the meeting why I don't go to open discussion hell anymore. You know, I just don't. I, I it's. Uh, I uh, uh, I'm from 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 Texas. Y'all probably noticed that right off because of my my thick accent. Listen, the, don't even start with me on this accent stuff. I, listen, I travel all over the world, and the only place I've ever needed a translator is South Carolina. <laughs> oh my god! I gotta say, I wish that the guys had the same. If it, coming out of a girl's mouth, it is just. It is hypnotic. Say it again. You know, and it's just, it is just, it, if we could bottle it, we'd all get rich. A southern accent on a woman is nothing sexier. I, so, it just doesn't translate with guys so well. I don't know what it is. I don't know what that's about. But anyway, I got, I got, I was raised over in, in um, I was born out in West Texas, out oil field trash, and we moved to the hill country because Dad wanted, he said, we got to get you kids someplace close to water because there's an Odessa, Texas. There was no water there. And so we moved to the hill country, and there's a big river moving through it, and that was just, and we lived in a nice, we had a nice life there. I've got an identical twin brother, and uh, some of you all know him. His name is Myers, and he's in the program too, and uh, and I've got uh, two beautiful sisters and a nice family. We had a wonderful family. Front row, Baptist church, every time the door was open. And it, we, there was no goofy stuff going on. And uh, uh, my dad was an alcoholic. And genetically, we got this little predisposition going on. And my twin brother and I caught the bullet. And um, about uh, 17 years old, uh, I, I, our co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous in January 
1971, passed away. And that same month, Chris Raymer took his first drink. Uh, sitting down on the river, opened a bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine. And uh, Larry and I, Larry, my, my friend Larry in the audience, we, it just, any of you guys have never tried it, on, just on your next relapse, try it. I, it's just, I don't know. They call I know. They call it wine. It's never seen a grape, I guarantee you. It's just, I don't know what kind of chemical it is, but I know it'll get you loaded, I guarantee you. And it looks pretty good when it comes back up. It's green. I, like lime green. No, okay. But anyway, we drank a couple of sips of that stuff, and uh, my friend looked at it. He hated it and took another sip, and he couldn't drink it, and he handed it to me. And I said, he, I, he, he said, you can have the rest of this. I'm going home. And I, I stopped him. Erk, wait. You mean you don't want any more of this, is what you're saying. See, as it tastes pretty crappy, I'll admit, but, but, but I want it. So if you don't want it, I'll take it. And so and he handed it to me and he left. And I sat there on the Guadalupe River leaning up against a 700-year-old cypress tree and finished a bottle of Boone's Farm. This wasn't one of them big bottles like I see in the grocery stores today. It seems like, I mean, how big can those freaking cans get now? You know, it's like, what is that? That's a beer. It's a keg. What are you talking about? I'd have died if they had that when I was drinking. I don't, I don't know. But this was when a little, little, little bottle of, of Boone's Farm. And I, and I drank that thing down and went back across the, the field to my little house and, and walked in. And Mom said, well, you seem to be up a little late. And I said, yep, but everything's going to be okay. Because i got to tell you something, guys. At 17 years old, for the first time in my young adult life, I felt okay inside. I didn't get squashed, guys. I wasn't shit-faced. I didn't throw up. I hear people from the podium. Talk. My experience is a little bit different. That stuff fixed me. Man, and I couldn't wait to try it again. And I was one of those cats that had a period of of, uh, of drinking where the stuff absolutely worked. And uh, I mixed it with some drugs downstream. Uh, that's that's a that's another story. But for most of my my drinking and drugging history, I was just a garden variety drunk. And uh, uh, but I was a working son of a gun. And I was what they call a functioning alcoholic. Y'all ever hear that term? It's really sad because little guys that I, we, I, I work at a recovery center and a lot of little guys, we get in there, they're there, you know, they're like, they're like 18 years old and they've already had two DWIs. I said, shit, that, this doesn't even seem fair, does it? You know, you never, you never had any time to really enjoy it. You know, you got, you know. I guess I drank uh, 15 years before I got uh, finally got a DWI, but uh, but I'm working and I'm making some money and I'm holding it together pretty good. You, you, but I'm drinking a lot. But it was never a question of what the problem. Everybody in Texas drinks. You know, just that's just the nature of the beast. And um, my twin brother's drinking right along with me. But what happened in in the 70s, uh, right about the time um, I discovered some of those outside issues, uh, cocaine. I um, I'd never. I, dr I drank for a whole bunch of years, guys, and, and didn't even know what a pawn shop was. I, I could see them on the road. There's a pawn <laughs> I don't even need to tell that story. You know exactly what I'm talking about, you know? I did co cocaine one day, and the second day I found a pawn shop. It's like, I don't need this damn telescope. What the hell? I don't know. <laughs> Who wants to see the stars when you can visit them? I don't know what the Oh, no, oh, God. Anything with an electric cord shoved in its butt, I went to the pawn shop with, you know. In sobriety, it was the coolest thing when I bought my first toaster. I hadn't had one in years, you know, and it was like, oh, my gosh, look, a real toaster. Okay. So, uh, my, uh, 
my twin brother, just like I said, we, we ended up getting out of the hill country pretty quick. It was a big, uh, uh, little, small little town and kind of goofy, and we, we figured we needed to get out. I went to Houston and, and was doing pretty well, but the depression was kicking my butt. And, and, and here's where some of you will get a little dicey with me, because I, I started seeing psychiatrists and therapists early on because I couldn't get rid of this depression. And I'm working really hard, and I'm, but I'm not liking who I, who I am. And I'm suffering from anxiety. I'm really, I'm, I'm really shy anyway. A lot of you guys that know me as, as friends know that I'm shy. And I, but, but this was, this was like I can't move anxiety stuff. And so I'm seeing doctors, and they're giving me medications because I'm drinking a lot. They said, well, Chris, you're drinking a lot because you have bipolar disorder. And so what you're going to do, we're going to give you some medications, and then you won't. And so we did that. And Guys, I was medicated for every disorder you could find, you know, for years and years and years. And, and I'm not knocking any of that. I know some of y'all are, are, are messing with that. But uh, uh, for me, what was wrong with Chris Raymer was I had what we call untreated alcoholism. You follow? See, this is a problem is that everybody thinks that the alcohol is the problem or the drugs is the problem. It's the internal condition that's the problem. A lot of you family members, y'all, y'all are so freaked out. Well, he hadn't drank in six months, but god dang, he's kind of tough to be around. No shit. You take the alcohol away from Chris Raymer, and I'm not going to get better. Oh, don't misunderstand me. My external world will get better. I'll put a little money in the bank. The car gets washed. I'll paint the house. I mean, Whatever. But my internal world is going to come unglued at the seams. And that's what people, a lot of people that should know better, don't know better. Unless this whole thing is treated spiritually, we're not going to get well. You can go to as many of these places as you want and in and out of treatment. And, I, and you're not going to stay sober. So I uh, uh, seeing these doctors, I, I started a journey with about 10 years in therapy and, and taking whole bunches of, of medications. I finally got married trying to save a mar- this this. Uh, I got married trying to get sober. You know, somebody said, you just need some responsibility. And thank God we didn't have a bunch of kids because that was, I mean, uh, anyway, I went up to North Texas with my twin brother and I got a, uh, a job at a country club. I was, a, uh, again, I told you I was a professional chef and was pretty good at it. And uh, uh, it turned out that the chef I was working for was a drug dealer and an alcoholic and, uh, and uh, it was a match made in heaven. And uh, it got pretty nutty up in uh, North Texas. I uh, one night had a little domestic disturbance, and uh, y'all know what that is? <laughs> it means I got really, really drunk and, and got really loud with my wife and shoved her, and, and uh, it was just stupid. Just That's not how I was raised, and um, it scared her and scared me worse. And, uh, you know, later that night I came back in and asked her forgiveness, and she, she made a, a real clear point with me. She says, Chris, you, you know why this happens. It was the only time we ever have problems is when you're drinking and drugging. And you're, you're, you, I, I'm, I'm fixing to stop. I've tried to stop a thousand times, but all of a sudden I've got a marriage in jeopardy here, and I'm not enjoying it anymore. One of the things that the family members don't understand, and maybe some of the younger people in this audience don't understand, is that if you do alcohol initially or drugs, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, you know, flash, news flash. You do it long enough, and it becomes, it's still fun, but it's a pain in the butt. You know, it's, it's, it's problematic. You do it long enough, what, what, what happens is we get to a place called end-stage alcoholism. Little brother laughing about being yellow. This is what happens. Our bodies start to shut down, and it's not fun. What happens is you can't imagine life living with it, and you can't imagine life living without it. And that's where so many of us end up taking our own lives because we we end up in a spot of hopelessness. It's not fun anymore, and now I really, really want to stop. 
I really, really need to stop. And I can't. And this is what pisses me off because there's a lot of people in the world that can. They get taken to that spot and they say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to choose to not drink. And they can do it. They can pull it off. I promised her on my knees that I would never drink again. I was done. I poured out everything and got rid of the alcohol and dope. And for two weeks, I, I went to work and I hustled. And I mean, I did everything I was supposed to do. And, and I thought everything was just great. And I've done that a hundred times. And uh, I came home two weeks later and uh, the thought crossed my mind that I could have a beer with some friends. Not get drunk, that I could have a beer but see, my deal with her wasn't that I wasn't going to get drunk. My deal with her was that I wasn't going to touch another drop. And I came home and she smelled it on my breath and she went to the bedroom and packed her bags and left. And I milked that for three years. It's her fault. Guys, I mean, tell you, this is what everybody needs to kind of get clear on the same page, I think, is that we can stop. Stopping's not the problem. Some of you guys detoxing right now and here at any links may argue with me on that one. You know, it's a... I just sent one of my best friends in, in Florida here. He'll be here next week. And, I mean, he's detox. He's coming apart. You know, and he, he thinks that's the hard part. That's kissing a baby's butt compared to what happens after that. I can stop. I've been detoxed a hundred times. I can't stay detoxed. I get out two weeks and my head starts to tell me, no, it's not so good. Y'all understand that? Everything is just the bomb initially. God, I feel better, look better, go to the gym, start to buff up a little bit. The car, everything is like, man, you should have done this years ago. I know it. God dang. I th- Shit, you ought to see. Look at this balance on my checking account. Look, I actually got 20 bucks. I mean, hell, I'm, this is... Everything's great. Guys, with me, what happens is you take the booze away and don't do anything spiritually. Just take the booze away. And then a couple of weeks down, all of a sudden, internally, I become irritable, restless, and discontent. Everybody in this place that's nodding their head knows exactly, I don't care if it's pills you're addicted to, cocaine you're addicted to, whatever. You take the substance away long enough, your body will come unglued. The fear comes back. The anxiety comes back. You with us? And a week ago, I was the happiest boy in the world crying with my loved ones how wonderful sobriety is. You follow? And two weeks into this thing, I'm driving around the loop around some big city someplace, grinding my teeth. Them sons of bitches, they can't talk to me that way. You know what? <laughs> Irritable, restless, and discontent. Oh, jeez. This is the time you get in the conversations. I used to work in the kitchens and I'd be at periods of sobriety and they go back to the back and the guys would be back there and they'd say, Chris, you want a drink? Nope, I'm sober. Would you want some of these pills? No, I told you I'm sober. And then two weeks later, I'm back there saying, no, tell me about those pills again. What was that? Because I can't drink. Well, these are horse tranquilizers. Horse tranquil, Horse tranquilizers. How many you got? <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like, I've seen it a million times. It would look down our nose. I would never put that in my body, ever. <laughs> Unless that's all you got. And that's like, I said, in treatment, they check in the box. What's your drug of choice? Yours? I, what? Every once in a while in the treatment center business, guys, and when I'm there, I will see a purist. I'm, it's just one thing. But, but they, they, we put them in rooms by themselves. They don't do real well, you know. <laughs> Snobs, you know. Oh, my God. Anyway. Anyway. I, uh, 
1987, I'm working for my twin brother and uh, up in North Texas, and I'm, you know, I've spent some time on the street, short period of time, and not, I don't make that dramatic. I'm living on the street. I got an apartment, but I don't have any money for food, and so I'm eating out of dumpsters, and and I'm I'm between things, you know, and and I'm I'm physically, I'm the alcohol is is taking its toll, and um. And I'm nuts. Don't forget, I'm still taking seven pills a day, all doctor prescribed. I'm glowing at night. I've had so many pills in me. But, um, and I've got to tell you guys, we ought to talk about it before we get out of here because it's rampant in the world today. We're losing more alcoholics out of Alcoholics Anonymous thanks to prescription pads than anything else. It's, just, it's an amazing thing to watch. Yeah. Yeah, and you're applauding and the woman next to you is grinding her teeth because that's medication you're talking about. If you're taking it improperly, it is not medication. You're a dope fiend. <laughs> anyway, I got a. Uh, I left work one one cold November night, and uh, I uh, uh, it was November twelfth. I'll never forget it. And I went went to my little apartment, picked up a stack of return checks, and I'm in a little a little efficiency apartment about the size of this of this little gazebo here, and. Uh, uh, filthy, and um, I, uh, I'm by myself, and I'm drinking a 12-pack of beer and open these return checks. And, you know, I got to that spot that so many of y'all have been, and I just, it's like, buddy, I've done this AA deal. It was laughing when they were talking about little brother picking up chips and nobody applauding. That was me in AA, and I'd done AA. I'd done therapy. I'd done treatment. I did colonics. I did. I was rolfed. I sat naked in sweat lodges. I look, if you think it's going to help me get sober, I'm going to give it a shot. You with us? The one thing I'm not going to do is this. Guys, I spent seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm going to say seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous. My experience was horrible in those rooms because what we did was two things. I'm going to touch it and I'm not going to belabor it. We tell war stories until the cows come home thinking that that's somehow going to keep one of us sober. And some of you that believe that it is, you need to look at the book and see what we're supposed to be doing. Because any attempt to scare an alcoholic and addict into these rooms by telling a stupid story is destined to fail. The book on page 7 says, on page 24 says, we're not going to remember even the consequences of a week or a month ago. I'm not going to remember my own stupid war stories, much less yours. Fear won't keep you sober. If the obsession to use comes back, guys, we're going to go use. My only solution is to get well, to recover. The obsession goes away, and you can go kick butt and take names. Now, that's the truth. Seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I never heard that message. And that's my story. When we weren't trying to scare each other into recovery, we were trying to solve every problem in the world. You'll follow? Yeah. How many of you ever go into an AA meeting and, ooh, here's the topic, relationships. Yeah. And we all laugh. I don't care if I'm in Europe or here. And we all say, oh, yeah, that's a, yeah. And yet we let it happen over and over and over again because our formats allow that to take place. Look at that. Some of these guys back here. What's wrong with that? Guys, because the book says our job is exactly what Roger said earlier. Our job, the 12 steps, is to get us spiritually connected, to have the spiritual experience. It's got nothing to do with relationships. You want to get one? Get one. You don't? Don't. It ain't going to have any, any measure at all whether you get sober or not. I'm so sick and tired of us trying to play. This alcoholism is a disease. And then treat it like it's a behavioral problem. There's never been a woman yet that got me loaded. Y'all understand that? I got me loaded because I made a conscious choice not to do the work. Man, 
I went, I can remember one of the first meetings I ever went to up in Denton, Texas. And I walked in, I had one of those deals where I had four or five days sober. And, and uh, there was um, uh, this nice little guy came up after. I know some of you guys in here are just like it. You know, the old uh, big book, got the duct tape around it because it's falling apart, you know, because you banged it up so much. And he's got it in his hand. He comes over and says, buddy, we're going down to the coffee shop after the meeting today. I was at a noon meeting because I worked the night shift. And he says, why don't you come down with us? We'll talk about the book a little bit. And I remember thinking, I'm thinking, God, how nice that is that this guy wants me to come down. You, you follow? And I look over his shoulder, and there's a lady back in the back. She's by the coffee bar, and she's going, no. This is the universal sign. No. And I go, oh, 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 buddy, I'm going to have to get back to you on that one. I got some stuff I got to do. Maybe we'll do it another time. You with us? And he goes, that's cool. And he got his book and he left with a bunch of guys and they went down to the coffee shop to talk about God and the steps. I walked over to the nice lady at the coffee. She says, oh, I'm so glad I caught you. That guy is just, he's just something else. He's just an old big book thumper from hell. Listen, listen, all you got to do right now is just worry about coming to meetings because meeting makers make it. God, if I never hear that phrase again, it'll be too soon for me. Because i got to tell you something, folks. Meaty makers, if that's all you do, don't make it. You're destined to pick up another chip again. Nowhere in this book does it say if you go to a bunch of meetings, you'll stay sober. Please, folks. It says if you'll work a program, you'll have a spiritual experience and your life will change forever. God, can I get a witness? Jeez. In 1987, I went up to the uh, medicine cabinet that night after uh, opening those return checks, and I, I got up and uh, took a bunch of pills down. I, I just I had plenty of pills, trust me. And I got them in the medicine cabinet, and I took them down and got some beer and washed them down. I'm going to commit suicide, and there's no note, and there's no goodbye calls. There's no nothing. I'm so, so Guys, I've lost all hope. You know, alcoholics and addicts that have been to that spot, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Again, there's nothing romantic about it, but you get to a spot where you're just, you're hopeless. I was at a Cocaine Anonymous meeting last night, listened to a dear friend of mine do her story at a Cocaine Anonymous in downtown San Antonio. And they brought these girls in from one of these halfway houses. These, these, uh, it's for, it's for women who, who have nothing, no money, no nothing. It's just, it's just a kind of little privately funded thing for, for, for women. And most of these women are, are little, little hard end stage alcoholics and little crackheads. And, you know, they're all walking in and looking down at the ground. And it's not because they're shy. It's because they're spiritless. They're the walking dead. They've given up. And I stood in front of that medicine cabinet with tears in my eyes and I gave up. Because I'm 35 years old and I've done everything you've asked me to do and I can't stay sober. And I swallowed those pills down and about the time they hit my stomach, I heard a voice that said, don't do this, go back to AA. And Because I'm arguing with this voice, first time out. I was like, I ain't going back to AA. Been there, done that, thank you very much. Cigar box full of chips. No, thank you. There ain't one red one in there, guys. No 30-day chips in there, but I got a lot of one. Uh, heard the voice twice, and then I made myself sick. And the last, I laid down on the side of the bed and, and heard the voice one last time. I, 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 
conked out. And the next morning, I heard it one more time. Same voice. Don't do this. Go back to AA. And I made a commitment. I'm going to go back one more time. But you know how God works. It says I I couldn't get off work early. And I ended up having to stay late. And I couldn't go to the meeting that I always went to. There was a couple of babes there that I I knew I could get a little sympathy out of. You know, I'm going to... Guys, if you're going to detox, get all the sympathy you want because you're not going to do it again. And so, you know, it's like I'm going to this, make this stick. And I couldn't go to this meeting, but I, I'd been shown where this other meeting was, close to my house and close to where I worked. But I was told by this guy that did 12-step call on me. He said, don't go here if you're not interested in getting sober because these are a bunch of big book thumpers. You with us? I'm smiling. Thank, thank you, Charlie, for telling me that. And in my head, it's a mental note. You'll never darken the door of that son bitch, ever. You know, because, you know. I don't even know what a big book thumper is. I just know that it doesn't sound cool. And I, I don't, I'm, I'm less than 24 hours away from a suicide attempt, but I'm still cool. You know, it's like, but I'm running late, guys. I'm running late. So I go to this meeting, and I, and I walk in the back door. And sure enough, everybody, everybody in the place, long table, everybody in the place has got big books on their table. And, I just, and they're smoking. It's back in the day. Everybody got six cigarettes sticking out of their mouth. And, oh, shit. You poor little smokers, we ruined it for y'all in the 80s, I'm telling you. We used to be able to smoke in every AA meeting on the earth, and, and now we can't anymore because we, we couldn't just smoke one, you know. You had to... Oh, my God. Light up a big old cigar. Anyway, I sat down, and the chairperson saw me, made eye contact, and the chairperson did something I haven't. Don't, still to this day, don't see very often. He looked around and he saw me and he saw that I was detoxing and he'd seen me up in North Texas before and he says, oh my gosh. He said, we got a newcomer in here tonight. And he took charge of the meeting. Did you hear what I said? No, you didn't. He took charge of the meeting. That means the same old stale, stupid, boring, out-of-date format that you've been using for 60 years, he didn't use. There wasn't any of this. Who's got the problem? Oh, shit. we got a guy nearly dying of alcoholism back there. How about that as a topic? No, 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 no. We're going to talk about your weed eater again. Oh, my gosh. Let's talk about acceptance. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm going to puke. Y'all, y'all with, some of you with me? Some of you are ready to leave. I'm with you. Come on now. Stick with me. This guy said, we got a newcomer in here, buddy. We've seen him. Welcome back, Chris. Let's talk about how our lives have changed as a result of working the steps. Not as a result of going to 90 meetings in 90 days. I want to puke. That's why people think we're a cult out there, guys. We've become addicted to the meetings, quote, unquote. What? Guys, there's a circle triangle involved here, equilateral, you know? Unity, service, recovery. Y'all follow what we're saying? It's, it's all the same. The program is apart. The fellowship's apart. I'm not knocking the fellowship. I've been blessed by the fellowship. I didn't stay sober 22 years by the fellowship. I got sober 22 years and stayed this way because I worked the 12 steps and had a spiritual experience. It's been my experience. They went around the room and shared their stories with me, short vignettes of how their life had changed as a result of working the steps. I didn't have to hear one story about their DWIs, no one story scary about robbing liquor stores and chopping people up and all that happy horse shit. Not one time did I have to hear that. What they did is they went around the room and they shared stories about getting their credit cards back, about getting cool jobs. What they did was they gave me the one thing that I didn't have when I walked in the room, and that was hope. For the first time, somebody looked me in the face and said, you can recover from this. Not one day at a time. You live life one day at a time. You make a commitment, you can recover. You can get well. 
man. Into the meeting, they gave me a chip again. Everybody applauded this time. Dig. The old man came up afterwards, though, and he said, Chris, I just got to ask you this question. One simple question. Are you done? And he explained what that looked like. And he told me in no uncertain terms that being done wasn't exhibited by 90 meetings in 90 days. Being done was get a sponsor and work in the steps at a fast clip. The number one thing I watch people do wrong in AA, Cocaine Anonymous, Narcotic, all the 12-step fellowships, the number one thing I watch them do wrong in those fellowships is they go too slow. And I got a bunch of sponsors sitting in this gathering right now with their butts puckering. I know, I know because you took two years to do the steps. Because you took that long to do it, you think we should be able to do it. But the person you're trying to work with may be the real deal. The window will close, folks. Everybody comes in and they start to feel happy, joyous, and free. How many of you guys have seen that? You get in and you start feeling better. We just talked about it. Everybody wants to make fun and call it a pink cloud. Guys, it's called God's grace. What you're, what you're getting to experience is what this whole program is about. The obsession to use will go away completely. You're in a position of neutrality. And if you end up in the wrong room, some old geezer will make fun of you and knock you off that. But if you work the steps while you're in that spot... Bill Wilson's nine days in Towns Hospital detoxing for the last time when he has his barn-burning spiritual experience. He's working the steps with Ebby. Now, he works the steps in less than two weeks. All of them. Dr. Bob, less than two weeks. Bill D, number three, less than two weeks. Nobody took longer than 30 days to work the steps. Guys, I understand. You come to a place like that. I work at a, at a, at a, at a, at a recovery center. We're going to get these guys three months, nice and slow. Get your feet on the ground. We're going to work you through. If you, if you can do it in a few months, let's go. But a year? You're going to tell me that you've, you've got a year to work the steps? Then I'm going to say you don't understand the first step. That you still believe that you've got a choice whether you're going to do this or not. Because when the obsession to smoke crack comes back, you're going to smoke crack. And there's not going to be a trigger to stop you or, or a, a Gorski relapse workbook grid to deal with. <laughs> Tools to help us in early sobriety. I'm not knocking any of that. I'm saying this is not a self-help program. This is for keeps. This is for keeps. I told a guy I would, and the next day we got on our knees and he explained what the third step prayer was. He explained that the third step prayer was not just some little willy-nilly prayer, that it obligated us, obligated us to go back into meetings and bear witness to God's power. That means that was my marching orders from here on, was to share hope in a meeting. And if you happened to be having a shitty day and needed to talk to somebody, that was, he, that was what he was there for. That was what my friends are there for. That's why we go to Denny's. That's why we go sit in the park and smoke a butt and talk about her again. <laughs> we don't do it in our meetings. And you're free to disagree. But we got a whole fellowship dying out there because they can't hear the solution to the problem. True. That. <laughs> I did a... I did a third step prayer. We got up and went, so got some Mexican food. We came back and we came back... I went to my car, and as, as I'm getting in the car, he hands me a notebook, and he says, Chris, old buddy, you did a great prayer this morning. Why don't you go home now, and I'll see you at 6 at the meeting. In the meantime, why don't you start working on this old fourth step? You with me, guys? I've been in AA for seven years and never worked any steps. And I'm in there two days now, and I'm, work, I'm on a working on a fourth step. And everybody says, well, that's too quick. For you, maybe. 
for the real alcoholic that's going to die if he didn't have a spiritual experience, it's probably too slow. When did we start? When did we start allowing the newcomer to set the pace? Well, they'll work it at their own leisure when they're ready. No, damn it, they won't. The obsession to use will come back and they will go use when they're ready. Guys, nobody wants to work the 12 steps. It's too damned uncomfortable. We need somebody there to kind of push us and prod us. The spiritual path is narrow, but God dang it, takes some teeth to do it. Ah, I couldn't, this guy's jamming me through. Y'all follow? Two weeks later, I've got a completed four step. I put his name on there because I thought he was rushing to me a little fast, you know? <laughs> in the meantime, he's got me learning how to chair a meeting. I'm two weeks over. Guys, I've been in AA for seven years, never chaired a meeting. You with this? Like these little guys did. They came up and they read how it worked and stuff. Seven years in AA, I never did that. You with me? I'm a taker to the end. And this guy points it out. Buddy, you've been a taker forever. When are you going to help the fellowship? When are you going to understand what the third legacy is all about? It's about service. Come help us. Grumble, grumble. Okay. It saved my life. Because one of the biggest mistakes we make, I know I watch it every day, is we allow people to sit too long before they get active. You find a job in Alcoholics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, you find a job here at any length, your time here will be heaven. You sit on your ass and feel sorry for yourself, you won't be here long. But who lets them do it? That's all I'm saying. I'm as guilty as the next person for letting them do it. We need to stop. You either want to get sober or you don't. If you do, let's don't candy coat the message. Let's work the steps at a fast clip. Let's have the spiritual experience and let's go kick some butt and take some names. And that's what we're looking for. Two weeks later, I've got a completed four-step. I'm ready to do a fifth step. My sponsor's got me learning the, the disciplines of 10 and 11. You with us? When I'm stepping on somebody, I'm learning a little bit how to make amends. And, and I'm doing some prayer and meditation. They're talking to me about God already. You will follow? I'm not there yet. And I'm sitting on the tailgate of my truck up in North Texas and the obsession to use is lifted. I'll never forget that day as long as I live. Two weeks after I came into that, after that suicide attempt, I'm sitting on the tailgate of that truck up in North Texas, cold damn night and um, big full moon up there. And it's, it dawns on me that the obsession to, my cocaine dealer lives in the apartment complex where I live, folks. I mean, I can see his, the light on in the apartment. He's, he's up there probably still to this day sitting on my couches. <laughs> it, Listening to your stereo, Dennis. I know. <laughs> Why is it that we give all that stuff away? I don't know. I don't know. Good Christian boy. He needed it worse than me. I don't know. I'm sitting there watching a the glow up there and realizing that the obsession to do that's gone. And I'm surrounded by liquor stores, guys. And, I'm, and the obsession to drink is gone. And it's not like I'm keeping myself. The 10-step promises are coming true. And the obsession is lifted. I'm in a position of neutrality. And that's where I've been for 22 years. Hear this. I'm going to wind this down, guys. For 22 years, not once has the obsession to do dope or alcohol come back to me. And I know thousands of people in this program, probably because of my travels, I'm sure, the guys that I sponsor that have had the same damned experience. Treatment centers are killing people today because they tell them that every day is the day they could, could relapse. And that's just not my experience. You do the work. You have the spiritual experience. 
the obsession stays away. You can't live off an experience I had 22 years ago. You've got to live off current experience. With the, with the current guys I'm sponsored, my current meditation life, my, my current service structure. Make sense? This is not what I do for 12-step work. I get an, uh, the honor of coming to get to meet you guys and visit with you. What I do is I go to my, my home group. I'm the, I'm the kitchen bitch at my home group. That's just the only way to put it. Anytime, I, anytime there's something to cook, it's just Chris... You, it's, that's what I do. I clean up. I do, and I don't have a problem doing that. It's a job. It's a way of being of service to the fellowship, and that's what it's about. No free ride. Let me mention this. I'll close. Uh, I, I just left the hospital where I'd been 17 years, and uh, uh, we would uh, back. Gosh, back in the day, we didn't see too many old timers coming in. But uh, one of the phenomena that we've seen in the last uh, five years or so is we're starting to see a lot of old timers and Alcoholics Anonymous come back in through the doors via treatment centers. In other words, they were sober long periods of time, and then they lost it. They go, usually, I'm sorry, again, via a prescription pad. And, uh, uh, and they got tangled up in the medication. The medication triggered the craving, and they went back to drinking. So it's, it's a tragedy to watch. Th- thousands of them relapsing around these sleep medications. Don't get me started. Anyway, we're starting to see a whole bunch of these cats come back into treatment. Every one of these guys, though, when I get there, I mean, I'm loving on them because these are my mentors. These are my heroes, the, 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 my four, the guys that were there before me. And I snuggle up to them and I say, buddy, tell me what happened. Let me, let me hear what happened. I keep waiting to hear a different story. You know what they tell me? Were you going to meetings? Sometimes. How many guys were you sponsoring? None. Now, don't you all find that odd? Hundreds of these old-timers coming back in, and I've asked all of them the same question, and I get the same answer every single time. Wasn't sponsoring anybody. 20 years sober, 30 years sober. Weren't sponsoring anybody. See, Bill Wilson said it, guys, on page 14 and 15. He says, you can't possibly survive the trials and low spots ahead unless you grow spiritually by what? Self-sacrifice. by working with others. That's what it says. We, we, we come in and we get some money and we get some success and we get our families back and then we stop doing the one thing that got us there to begin with. There's no free ride in Alcoholics Anonymous. You, you, you've got to help us out here. If, you're, if you think you're a part of this because you're going to a meeting, you've, you've missed this. You've missed what we're talking about. I know it's scary if you haven't sponsored anybody to do it. Call me. I'll walk you through it. It's not that hard. We're not taking these people on to raise. We're just showing them how to work the 12 steps so they can have their own spiritual experience. They get drunk. They get drunk. They get sober. you got somebody to give a chip to on birthday night. How cool is that? But either way... You're going to stay sober. And I'm saying this out of the bottom of my heart because we can't afford to lose any more you cats that have had some sobriety under your belt. If you've got a year under your belt, don't think for a second that you can get it back because we're watching thousands of people that can't come back because they're dead. And we need you. The place to be in the last 30 seconds of this talk, the place to be is in the trench with us. Bill Wilson talked about it. Dr. Bob talked about it. Be on the firing line of life. Be a mad dog. You didn't do dope like a wussy. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't drink. No, you didn't drink like that. No, you didn't. You didn't. Take that bottle, flip that cap off, bing, and let's go. Go to that dope house. You bet every, all, all the chips in. And then we get an AA and all of a sudden it's like, well, I don't know if I have time for that. You know, I'll have to look at my date planner and figure it out. Buddy, 
we're sitting in here. I know a bunch of you. And we're mad dogs. Here's the problem, though. What happens is, is a lot of the guys in here, there's a section of you that knows exactly what I'm talking about. You're kicking butt. The rest of you are looking uncomfortable. There's a section of the women in this, in this, in this gathering right now that sponsor all the women. They're laughing with tears in their eyes because they understand exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real power. And the rest of you are looking uncomfortable. I don't sponsor anybody. No shit. I'm here to tell you, comma, it's not okay. We need you in the trench with us. Everybody was talking to my buddy. Everybody waits for the treatment centers to fix this problem. Oh, sooner or later, the pharmaceutical companies will come up with something that'll. They're, uh-uh. Exact my thought. Everybody thinks that's going to happen. Everybody thinks a treatment center. But look at this room. How many treatment experiences has this gathering right here experienced? Oh my God. Come on, guys. Here's what we do. We come in. We don't have to have a degree. We don't have to have a bunch of education. We don't have to have a bunch of... What we have to do is have our own experience of how we work the 12 steps, and then we're going to share that with a newcomer. Make sense? And you sit back and you watch the miracle take place. And I tell you, the first time you walk in that OAA club over there and you hear some shit going on in the back room, you're making coffee, you hear some... Now listen here, this is what you... And you look around the corner and you see the little guy that you just did a fourth step, fifth step with. You with us? Now, he's got his own little protege in there. And they're sitting back there at the table like that, and they've just done a third step, and he's got the notebook open. and said, look, now what? Pay attention, damn it. I'm, I'm trying to show you this. You know? And you go, hold it. And you sneak, you sneak back real quick so they can't see you. You know what I'm saying? And you sit there like that, and you're making some little coffee, and you're listening to him in there, and he's telling this little, got his little finger in there, and he's telling him how to cow the cabbage, showing him how to work the 12 steps. And you see exactly what I'm talking about. It's exactly how this thing works. Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob, that's exactly what they did. Their life wasn't about sitting around the room talking about how, how uncomfortable they were. They were saying, where can we go find a drunk to work with? Where can we go find a little, little dope fiend, little crack monster to grab hold of? And <laughs> you go, go get you a protege. Don't wait for somebody else to get it. Somebody jamming me the other day about it. Well, Chris, you sponsor way too many people. I said, buddy, if you'd sponsor a few more, I wouldn't have to sponsor so many. I, less than an hour. did pretty good. M.L. Rowland told me this. O.M.L. told me this up in, up in 1987 when I got sober. I was sober about six months. And he's back there washing coffee cups. Some of y'all have heard me talk about it. I can't, can't say it without crying. He was just a nice old geezer. He had about 30 years. He's passed away now. But he had, a, he had about 30 years at the time. And, and he's washing coffee cups, right? And I'm helping him because, I mean, I don't know. My social life, is, I ain't got nothing to do. Everybody else is downstairs getting a date. And I'm like washing cups with this old geezer, you know? And he heard me, and he turned around, and he had little tears in his eyes. I mean, you know, as obvious. I said, buddy, what's wrong? I said, he says, Chris, I, says, I just feel like an ass. I says, you've been here six months, and here you are helping me do this. And I've been men- intending to tell you this, but I just haven't talked to you about this. I says, buddy, it was so cool that you were setting chairs up tonight, and I heard you share in the meeting a little hope. And I just got to tell you, you sounded so good. And I, we just, I, I just, please hear me when I say this. We, we need you. That's what I said. I didn't make it. I dusted him. You know how we are. You know, I can't take compliments. I can take your wrath, but I can't take a compliment. You know, we need you. Yeah, okay. Right on. Loser. You know. <laughs> but I'm sitting out my old beat up pickup truck after the meeting, driving home with tears in my eyes because nobody, nobody in years 
had ever said those words to me. Oh, we'll do it with hands shaking. Keep coming back. It's, listen, that's just that's another planet from we need you. Y'all understand that? I don't want you to just keep coming back. I want you to get in the trench with us and help us carry the message of hope because that's how this thing works. It ain't going to happen from Chris Raymer. It ain't going to happen from Larry Scott. It ain't going to happen from Roger. It ain't going to happen from Joey. We've all got our little protégés and our little jobs. We need you. You'll be sitting in a meeting grinding your teeth tonight. That little one-eyed son bitch from Texas. He shouldn't have been able... He could... He didn't know anything about my life. He didn't know anything. He didn't know that I've got all those kids to take care of. He didn't know he thinks everybody's got time to do that. I just don't have. I got fucking okay, okay. okay. <laughs> you'll be sitting there, and all of a sudden you'll look down, and then some little 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 knucklehead will come through and just sit down right next to you. Y'all know the look. Little lips all burn up. <laughs> look like little <laughs> hair. It looks like a groundhog coming out coming out. Uh... Somebody, somebody drops a big book on the floor. And <laughs> you got you a zinger, buddy. You got you a live wire right next to you, right? And little guys, little guys gonna look over to you, man or woman. I don't. Little guys gonna look over to you and, and what? What? You have to pay for that coffee? And you can dust them. Here's the dusting point. You can dust them, tell them to go to hell away, or you can say, buddy, come on, let me. No, I got your coffee. Let's go. Come, listen, do you have a big book? You don't, you don't have a big book? Listen, let me show you where they are. They're in this closet over here. They're a little pricey right now, but I think I can work a deal. You go in that closet, steal a big book. God, we just we get sober and we get so honest. Oh my God, I would never. I don't care how you get it, get it and give it. Write your little name and number in there and sit him down like that. Come on, guys, you know the ropes. You don't have to be sober a long time. You're six months sober. You've worked the 12 steps. You're sitting in there kind of coming out of your skin. All of a sudden, you know as much about this as you need to know to change somebody's life. The guy will look around like that and says, buddy, maybe you could sponsor me. And what needs to come out of your mouth is not, well, I'll ask my sponsor. (laughs) No. Why don't you get quiet and go to the bathroom real quick and look yourself in the mirror and ask God. Hey, you think I've got something to offer? Come on, guys. Why did he come in and sit down next to you? Why, why do you think you came to any length at the same time, at the time you did? Why was little brother in that room with those two yellow guys, huh? You think it was just a, a coincidence? We were there specifically because that's the person that could help us. It wasn't the counselor. It was the person in your group. Now, all of a sudden, God drops one in your lap. The person's going to change your life. You may not change theirs at all, but you're gonna, your life is going to be rocketed because you're going to feel useful for the first time. What needs to come out of your mouth is, I would be so grateful for the opportunity to spend some time with you and show you what's in this book. I'll show you how to have a spiritual experience. Don't tiptoe around this God stuff. If he doesn't want the God stuff, he ain't going to get sober anyway. Let him go someplace else. Go to the goddamn Rotary Club for all I care. <laughs> We're not going to candy coat the message of our fellowships any longer. I'm not going to tolerate it. God got me sober. God keeps me sober. God blesses every single one of us in this room. We're not going to be apologetic about it. Please. Look at that little guy and say, buddy, I got you back. Let's go. And take off. And you'll have half a dozen old timers in the group saying, you ain't sober long enough to do this. And Just nod your head. Thank you for sharing. Keep... 
keep coming back. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs>